HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini-series on global trade. Vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties. There was a time where black pepper was a luxury. And we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the Spice Islands in order to get uh, pepper. (laughs) You know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. It's Inauguration Day. Congratulations, Mr. President Joe Biden and Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. I'm super excited about today and the future. And this is our 276th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an established freelance journalist who has a new book on how to lose the booze for a dry January and more, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be sober curious. Now, what does that mean? Well, as a culture, it's for individuals who aren't willing, ready, or planning to give up alcohol completely, but rather those who seek to understand the reasons fueling their desire to drink and the way alcohol affects one's life. It's about having the option to choose, to question, and to change habits for any sort of reason. So let's embrace sober curiosity, as with anything, it's good to be curious. That's my tip today. 
Now, I'm excited to have my guest joining me. It is Hilary Scheinbaum. She is a freelance journalist who recently released a new book entitled The Dry Challenge, How to Lose the Booze for Dry January, Sober October, and Any Other Alcohol-Free Month. As a reporter, Hillary has covered topics ranging from celebrity red carpets to chef interviews, cocktail trends, new fitness classes, beauty treatments, wedding styles, and everything in between. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, USA Today, Today.com, Travel and Leisure, and more. She has been a dry January participant and advocate since 2017. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm thrilled to be chatting with you. It's it's a it's a great day and uh, a lot of good energy happening. And um, I'm excited about your book. So before we before we get into the you know the reasons of why you want to write this book and 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 more about it, why don't we go back to your background a little bit? Because I saw that you grew up in South Florida. Where and I'm from Miami originally, so we have that in common. <laughs> Definitely, I grew up in Coral Springs, Florida. I was actually born on Long Island, moved to Florida when I was like four or five, and so that was where I grew up. That's my childhood. So sunny, <laughs> very cool. You know, last week I had on uh, Leo Robichek, and he was also from. Uh, grew up in, in South Florida, so it's it's kind of funny. I'm having these back-to-back episodes. I love that. Uh, All the Floridians. Yeah. So, um, so w- when did you know you wanted to become a journalist? Did you study that in school? It's funny. I actually studied public relations in college. I went to Florida State for two years, and then I transferred to the University of Florida. And while I was taking a lot of PR classes, one of the you know, main classes that everyone had to take in the journalism school was reporting. And I really loved it. Um, and I wrote for you know both school newspapers when I attended FSU and when I attended UF. And I always loved reporting and journalism. So I kind of, I did both. And you know, my first, I guess, I call it my quote unquote job because it was a freelance job for uh, Us Weekly. It was my first thing out of college. And after that, I actually was a publicist at the beginning of my career. So uh, I I didn't know that. (laughs) So so initially, I I would say like even going back to high school, though, I I was the editor of my yearbook. So (laughs) it's been a a long uh, relationship with writing. So when were you doing PR? Um, Was that in New York? Did you move here after school? I did. So I, after my, my very short lived us weekly freelance gig, I moved to New York in 2010 and I started my career in public relations, working in very corporate PR. Um, I won't name my clients, but I'll tell you that one was one of the big four accounting firms and, um, you know, other very corporate entities. So it wasn't the kind of stuff that I report on now, which is very lifestyle based. Um, and then I did go to a lifestyle ish, like beauty and fashion and, um, you know, that sort of thing, that firm after, but, uh, that was also, you know, a very short stint. Cause then I, I started freelancing again and that's where I've been ever since. I've just been, 
a freelance writer for the past. It's almost been nine years. It's crazy. That's amazing. Cause yeah, I was wondering if you were in house at any time as a writer, but you weren't. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who's written, I write articles here and from time to time. Um, and I, I enjoy writing, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's time consuming. It's a hustle and it to, to get your stories out there. So I have so much respect for people, um, who write for a living and also as freelance. Cause I think, I think there's, there's challenges to it. I mean, there's a lot of freedom in it, but, um, it's, it's definitely can be challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's both. There's, you know, a lot of freedom about what you pitch and what you want to write about, but also those stories have to get approved. So there is, you know, the same weight of, of hoping that somebody wants it and doing your research and interviewing people. So there's, there's a lot to it for sure. Yeah. So how did you uh, establish your beat then as, cause you've covered a lot of things. I mean, it, as the celebrity red carpets and, and beauty, fashion, food, uh, did you, uh, I mean, it, did you seek out in, in one of those particularly, or you just sort of liked covering a lot of different avenues and, and, um, and making that your, I guess your overall, uh, like having a bigger lifestyle sort of approach? Yeah. I think in college, I really wrote about everything. And I, I talk about like my, my college writing experience because I think that, you know, being a writer, in my very early twenties and even in my teens, I was able to seek out these different trends that were happening on campus. And I really got to write about everything and anything. And there wasn't one thing that I was really pigeonholed into. Um, at the same time, I was actually, I loved celebrity news then. And granted there were no, you know, necessarily big celebrities on campus, but I would interview like our mascot or people on okay. campus That's who fun. were really doing these wild, you know, amazing things. Um, and then from there, I was actually an intern at People Magazine, granted in, in the PR department, but, you know, going to my senior year of college. So I really had a love for celebrity news at the time. And I had, you know, the background of writing about different majors and different people on campus. So I think it was only natural that when I started being a red carpet reporter at night during the day, I was still so interested in other topics such as food and beverage and beauty and all of these other things that, you know, I would regularly research for my own self that I wanted to share with other people. And I think it just really grew from there, you know, having kind of this baseline of somewhere to be at 5 PM when the red carpets were starting um, and into the night, but then also during the day, having something to not only keep me busy, but also keep me engaged in other trends and, you know, just writing for things that I cared about, really. So I think it really stemmed from a lot of different things. Did you have any or do you have any favorite assignments or interviews you did over the years that stand out? Oh, my gosh, there are so many. I think it really I. I it's, it's so wild to think like I've interviewed, you know, today's inauguration day. I've interviewed Joe and Joe Biden. I've interviewed, um, Brad Pitt. I've interviewed a ton of amazing and very well-recognized individuals in, in pop culture and certainly in politics as well. Um, and I think that's so incredible, but I also really love talking to individuals who just have unique stories and, 
this one is, is definitely not run of the mill, but there was an article that I did for the times where I actually interviewed people who chose to get married naked. And that is not a subject that I regularly cover, but it was just so interesting to, to hear and listen to these people's stories. And so just to give you kind of the range of, you know, red carpets to, you know, naked weddings, I've covered everything in between. And I, I really have learned so much just having these one-on-one conversations with people of all walks of life. Wow. <laughs> Those are great examples. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so what inspired you to write the dry challenge and, and go in, you know, start, start talking about, uh, you know, with my tip, sober curiosity and, uh, has become a, a bigger topic over the past few years. It's, and even I think this year now, it just, I feel more and more people are taking the dry challenge. So, um, so how did you get into it? Absolutely. So my story started in 2016. I'll give you kind of the abbreviated version, which is I made a bet with one of my friends. And at the time I was very involved with red carpets and my main beat was actually food and beverage. So, you know, during the day I was doing research, I was writing about wine, beer and spirits. And at night I was going to red carpets and sometimes after parties where, you know, top shelf shelf liquor was served. And I wasn't necessarily drinking every day or every night, but I think that alcohol was a regular staple within my job and within my social life. And certainly at the time I was single, so I was going on dates and a lot of, you know, first and second dates were the routine of grabbing a drink. So in 2016, in December, um, I had had dinner with my friend and he told me about dry January, uh, and I forgot about it. And a week later on New Year's Eve, I tipsy texted him and initiated a bet. And so we, had this bet going for the month of January, 2017. And, um, at the end of the month I succeeded. I had given up alcohol for 31 days. My friend had, um, had not. And so (laughs) he ended up buying me this really fancy dinner as a, as a, as a prize. And in the end, I realized that, you know, beyond dinner, I had won so much. I had realized what, role alcohol had been playing in my life as far as, you know, how many hours I was sleeping and how I was spending my time, you know, outside of work, of course, and just all the different benefits that brought on just giving it up for one month. So, um, since then I've, you know, repeated dry January every year since this is my fifth year, I've done a number of sober months in between. And (laughs) during that, you know, these past years, I've, I've really told so many people about it. I, it just, I think it was just only natural that I would, you know, put this all into a guide about how to do it for people who are interested, maybe first timers or also people who um, had tried it in the past, but just wanted a refresher and more information about the subject. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, how, when you, when you took on the challenge the first time, how was it for you? Was it really difficult and were there was there anything to guide you along the way or you were kind of just uh to, trying to win a bet <laughs> yeah you know I think that I had a lot of different 
feelings toward it. The the first day, like Jan one was my now or never moment. I remember going to brunch with, you know, a group of friends and while they ordered cocktails, I ordered, you know, water and a coffee and the server came over with complimentary tequila shots for each of us. And I remember thinking to myself, like, no, this is the moment that I am going to stay true to this. And certainly there were, you know, other questions from friends and acquaintances along the way. Um, but I really didn't have a plan. This was so, something so spontaneous that I really think that I, I could have benefited from a guide. I, I didn't have any friends of mine that had done a dry January before. And I was certainly the, the first one among my friend group. So they definitely had questions and some had criticism. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, going into it, I, you know, partially selfishly, I wanted to win a bet because I happened to be a bit stubborn. I was also excited though, too, to see what effect it would have on my life. Cause personally, you know, going into it, I think my mentality was just a bit, um, naive maybe. And I thought that if it changed anything, it wouldn't be so significant, but in the end, I mean, I can just within, I, I should say in the first week and a half, I went from sleeping, you know, five hours a night to sleeping seven to eight hours a night. And that in itself changed so much for me because I, as anybody knows, when you're well rested and you have more energy, you're more productive, you're just like more upbeat person. Um, and so by the end of the month, I just looking back on it, I realized what a difference it was, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I can totally relate. And I don't even know if you know this about me, but I don't, I don't drink. I quit drinking in 2002 and I, I, I talk, I started talking about it more the past couple of years, but really uh, I've I've been a part of the food industry for a long time, working, uh, you know, mostly re- representing restaurants and bars, and and uh, not making a big deal about the fact that I didn't drink, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't notice, or a lot of people, I don't know, or it's um, it's 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 been it's been interesting over the years with I guess uh, uh awkward moments is what I would call it the most of like when you said when you uh when uh, they come by with tequila shots at the table and, you know, you're sort of in that position where you have to make a decision. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that still happens a lot, these, you know, kind of awkward moments and situations. And I know in your book, you talk about, I mean, let's, let's go through the book a little bit because you have, you have great tips for people of, you know, you talk about going on dates and, and, uh, and what to do. You know, I also know for myself that when I stopped drinking, like, it seemed like I had a lot more hours in the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, like all of a sudden, um, the days were longer and then it's trying to figure out how to fill your time and change your habits. So, um, and I love that you address, um, so many things in in this book. So yeah, you want to, do you want to take us through the, like how you, how you organized it, um, with the different chapters? Yeah, absolutely. I also wanted to add, because you just mentioned how much time that you have on your hands And something that was so incredible to me that's in the book that I had found while doing my research was that there was a survey done in the UK um, and granted, you know, the drinking age starts at 18 there, but I don't think it makes that significant of a difference in the long run of this statistic. And the statistic is that the average adult spends nearly two years of their life hungover. 
Oh, wow. And <laughs> that was so shocking to me because as, you know, busy New Yorkers, especially, and people in general, doesn't matter where you live, we all, you know, have such limited time to do the things that we love or that we want to pursue. And I think that when you take into consideration that people typically spend two years of their life feeling nauseated, you know, just recovering from the night before, um, it really puts things into perspective because that doesn't even include the amount of time that you spend drinking or getting ready to go drinking or preparing to go drinking. Um, it's simply just, you know, that terrible feeling afterward. So the book definitely has some very big statistics like that. Um, but it also is broken down into a lot of different chapters, including, you know, things that you can do to occupy your time. Certainly the benefits of giving up alcohol, even just for a mere month. Uh, and as you noted, dating as well. I think, you know, there are so many upsides to drinking without, to dating without alcohol. Um, and certainly there are a variety of date ideas that people can participate in, whether that's cooking together or going ice skating or going for ice cream, going for a hike. I think that having an interactive activity is really beneficial, especially when you're getting to know someone um, instead of, you know, the usual grabbing a drink and having this one-on-one -on -one interview style across the table. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's true. And, and it's, it's also, it also can be, um, I guess, I don't know, daunting or just maybe challenging for someone to start the first time you're dating and you're not drinking. Cause as you said before, initially when you go on dates, like it's let's meet for a drink. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, um, I tend to, uh, uh, beverage of choice be a big club soda person I actually made myself a drink for this show a non-alcoholic drink with uh, the Lear's Italian orange that was a partnership with your book yeah and aren't they I, great I love it like I yeah I, I made myself a, a little uh, booze free cocktail for the show <laughs> I and, love it yeah, and it's and you have and you also in the book you talk about you know uh, some of the the new beverages out there. You know, I work with uh, Curious Elixirs, which I love as uh, a, a booze-free uh, brand that um, was really one of the pioneers of of booze-free cocktails. And um, and I love that there's so many more options now. Uh, that are fun and exciting. It's incredible. I feel like the space has grown so much over the past couple of years. Certainly when I was doing my first dry January, there were very few brands and, and there were very few restaurants and bars that had non-alcoholic options. You had mm -hmm. to either ask the bartender for a club soda or give them a specific recipe that you may have pulled from the internet or from the back of your head. And I really think that this category has grown so much and it's not just because, you know, they're putting out products just for the sake of it. I really think that consumers are looking for, you know, great tasting beverages that resemble cocktails, that resemble beer, that resemble wines that just don't have 
a hangover or a buzz attached to it. Yeah, very true. So what would you say to someone who's skeptical about, about doing a dry January or taking the challenge? How would you uh, kind of not convince them, but uh, just suggest maybe that it's a, a good idea to try it? Yeah, well, I would, I want to preface it with saying the dry challenge and I think any dry month is not a method of recovery and it's definitely not a substitute for recovery. So if somebody is potentially interested in giving up alcohol for a month, I would say to talk to your doctor to just make sure that that's okay. And um, also to just to try it. I mean, the, the great thing about sampling a dry month is that if it works for you, it's great. And certainly you'll, you'll learn things about yourself along the way. Um, I also want to add that, you know, especially during a dry January, it doesn't have to be January, but at the beginning of the year, a lot of us have different resolutions and depending what your goals are, I think there are beneficial elements across the board. So if you are trying to save money, there's that element to it because you won't be spending a ton of money on beverages. Um, there's definitely the element, there's the element of, you know, people when the year comes around, they say they want to lose weight. And if that is a goal of yours, you, it's important to consider how many calories are in, you know, wine and beer and spirits in, in mixed drinks. Um, I think another thing is, you know, people say they want to get healthier. Um, I think, you know, giving up alcohol can be really motivating, especially when you're not hungover the next day and you have an exercise regimen that you're planning on. And, you know, certainly we all know that alcohol isn't exactly healthy. Um, so it, I think that doing a dry January or a sober month can just kind of check all those boxes in, in some way. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask you my question for my last guest. As I said, I had on Leo Robichek on episode 275. He's the vice president of food and beverage for Seidel Group, and he's the author of the Nomad Cocktail Book. And he wants to know, how do you tell people politely that you're not drinking and not to sh- not and not to shame you for it. He noted it's probably the hardest thing for him when he tries not to drink and essentially being shamed for it. And overall, also just being in the industry and in New York. It's a great question. And it's definitely a question and something that I've come across myself. Um, And I think it really depends on your company and your audience. I think for me, a lot of the time, I would just tell people very boldly, I am doing a dry month. And a lot of the time I would actually add in, like I have a bet right now with a friend that I absolutely cannot lose. And I think, you know, if the first part of it was something that they, that didn't resonate with them, then the second part of that conversation was definitely something that struck them because the bet that I had had with my friend was that I or he would have to treat the other person to dinner at any restaurant in New York city, which can get pretty pricey. Um, so I think that once that was out in the open, people backed off and I can, I can say that about my first dry January, every dry January since I haven't made a bet, but it's something that I would tell people, you know, I'm not, I'm just not drinking this month and I'll catch up with you over a drink in February, or, you know, we're here still enjoying ourselves and I'm going to order the non-alcoholic varietal. Um, I think that most of the time when people 
find issue with you not drinking. It's not necessarily a reflection of what you're doing. I think it's almost sometimes an insecurity of that you're not just going along with the group. And so I think that if you, you know, order something that is non-alcoholic, but you're still engaged in the conversation, typically people let it slide. Um, And of course, there are other things that you can say as well, including I have a really early morning tomorrow or, you know, whatever it is that that really suits you. Yeah, that's a good answer. And um, I, I had when I, I read the, the foreword from Lo Bosworth and I had noted something she said in it, she said it almost feels expected that you participate with alcohol. And then just when I read that line, I was like, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Like just sort of like a social norm um, that you're going to drink. And, but I think, I think it's changing um, just as just a culture and uh, that more and more people are, are not drinking for whatever reason. And, um, and, and maybe it will be easier for people to, to tell people, you know, they're not drinking and there shouldn't be any shame in it. You know, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice or it's just a choice. So um, absolutely. I'm all for that. Okay. So let's take a little break here and we will come back and we'll play my speed run game. We'll talk some industry news of my solo dining experience and the final question. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Hilary Scheinbaum. She is a freelance journalist who has a new book out called The Dry Challenge, How to Lose the Booze for Dry January, Sober October, and Any Other Alcohol-Free Month. So, Hillary, it's time for my speed round game. And what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Great. I'm excited. All right, cool. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? These days, eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, soft cocktail, or champagne? I would say non-alcoholic Prosecco. Oh, wow. That's a first, you know, no longer, it doesn't matter how many shows I do, I still get firsts. (laughs) And that sounds awesome. Okay. uh, Tasting menu or a la carte? Oh, that's a hard one. Oh man. I miss the luxury of tasting menus. I'm going to go with tasting menu. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, 
I don't know. I like both. That's hard. I'm going to go, yeah. I'll go with communal just because I miss people. <laughs> Good reason. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, I think, hmm, I'll say all-inclusive as long as it's being distributed fairly. Okay. How about red carpet interviews or interviews in kitchens? Oh, no, don't make me choose. <laughs> how, about, how about like celebrity interviews in kitchens? I, I did interview Martha Stewart in her test kitchen once, and that was really fun. Oh, that sounds awesome. And uh, when I was when I wrote that, I was kind of thinking you might answer that way. And that's how I would have probably <laughs> answered it. <laughs> yeah, but the best of both worlds. Okay, I have I have another one. one. It's a little, it's another like drinking one. I have a mixed, muddled, shaken, stirred, or a bottled beverage. Um, these days I would say a, a bottled beverage. I I tend to love the craft cocktails and all of the above. And these days, obviously, the non-alcoholic variety. But lately, like, I just think it's so convenient to, especially, you know, now that I'm doing it myself. So, you know, pop open a bottle, for example, for like Curious Elixirs and just kind of pour it over ice or, you know, mix it with like one other thing. Um, so I'm going to go with bottled. Yeah. Um, yeah, they make it really, it's easy, easy choice of beverage uh, makes it easy for you. So, okay. I've got two more cheese plate or dessert. Dessert. Definitely. Manhattan, uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn. Oh, Manhattan. I love Brooklyn too, but I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. So. Awesome. That's the game. Loved it. Those are great. That was um, fun. Th thanks. It is fun. I love hearing people's answers too. Cause yeah, as I said, like there's, there's <laughs> everyone plays it a bit differently. Always firsts. Totally. Okay. So for industry news, I picked out an article on Bloomberg and it was by Kate Crater and the title is pizza, soy sauce, and superfruits are food trends to watch. Despite the uncertainty facing the restaurant world, our food editor has a few prognostications. So, Kate, we all love Kate, and Kate knows her stuff. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to, to kind of talk about the things she's predicting. Uh, it's going to be uh, food trends that are going to be popular. She's got uh, pizza will be the dish of the year, ultimate comfort food. Uh, the new Amazonian fruits are going to be popular. Uh, soy sauce would dominate the condiment space. Drinking clubs expand. Talking about like virtual events. And she's got America's power dining epicenter as Miami, which uh, as, you know, as being a Miamian, um, couldn't be more excited about it because I, I think the dining scene there has been getting better and better over the years. So... Totally. What was your take on this on this list? I I mean I think she's nailed it. I think as far as Miami goes, so many people, especially New Yorkers, are you know treading down to Florida, especially South Florida. And I've only seen Miami you know restaurants get better and better over the years. And that's not to say that they weren't great to begin with, but I definitely think that there is a lot more expanding. Um, that's going to be done. And I agree with the pizza too. I think everybody, you know, is 
looking for comfort these days. And pizza is one of those things that you can easily make, you can easily order. Um, so I'm, I'm here for it. Cheers to more pizza for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes, I mean, comfort food and pizza certainly make, makes sense. I thought, um, I mean, all, you know, it was, it was interesting, I guess, like the soy sauce one at first, I was like, I thought that was an interesting one. Um, but she, she's also talks about how, how restaurants during this, this pandemic period has, uh, like doubled up as grocery stores and that restaurants are in their, in their offerings. It's like they, they have amazing soy sauces or, or different condiments that they're selling and, um, and I, I love that tie-in and that restaurants have been able to pivot in that way that they can make some profit off, off selling merchandise. Absolutely. And, and I also thought it was, you know, really interesting when she mentioned that restaurants are operating at different hours now because before mm-hmm. hand, you know, there would be the lunch hour and a lot of restaurants would, you know, close down between lunch and dinner, um, or they would only be open for specific hours during the day. And I think now hours have certainly expanded and they've changed. I think she even mentions that, you know, 5 p.m. reservations are the new 8 p.m. due to uh, restrictions. Um, So that was really interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too, and I agree. And it's, yeah, it's totally changed, shifted things up. And I found yeah, I, myself wanting to dine out earlier too, as especially with outdoor dining and then the end with the sun going down earlier, you know, now it's going to start uh, going the other way, which is great, but wanting to, wanting to get as much natural light <laughs> as possible yeah. and, um, and enjoy that. And, um, and she also talked about uh, chef collaborations happening and or partnerships across different uh, restaurants with each other, which I, I think is we've seen and I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great piece. Uh, a lot of positive, positive things look forward to and uh, what's happening and how how restaurants have, have shifted during this really, really trying time. So uh, for my solo dining experience this week, uh, I'm going to give you the rundown. It's from a place called Peking House, and it's a home delivery. So here we go. The location, 18523 Union Turnpike, Flushing, Queens, New York. The concept, underground fried chicken restaurant, which launched during the pandemic from a fine dining chef out of his family's longtime Chinese restaurant, which is called Peking House, or Peking House without a C. And this restaurant, he's calling it Peking, P-E-C-K-I-N-G, House. So he's doing his restaurant out of his family's restaurant. The owner and chef is Eric Wong. Why did I get delivery? Well, I started reading about this place online. There was some good press and social media posts and it sounded amazing. So my experience, about six weeks ago, I signed up online for their wait list. Yes, they have a wait list. And um, it told me it was gonna be about six weeks till my order, my time was, my time. So um, I waited and about five, six weeks, I I got an email and uh, the chef asked me if I was still interested and I said yes. And he sent me a password to log into their website. He said order right away because time slots fill up pretty quickly. 
So I did. There was one delivery time slot on upcoming Sunday, so I took that. There were also more options for pickup, but I wanted the convenience of that delivery, which is awesome that they were offering. So um, the day of, I got a text uh, confirming the time of their order would be coming, and it arrived promptly. So what did I get? Well, I got their chili fried chicken, which included three pieces of buttermilk brined country fried chicken finished with Tiajin chilies and Szechuan peppercorn. It was a mix of white and dark meat, and I got hot sauce on the side. And that came with dirty fried rice, sweet potatoes with almond pesto and bacon, and roasted Brussels sprouts salad. I also got their pH chicken broth, and for dessert, the peanut butter pudding with chocolate ganache and cocoa nib. And that's pretty much the whole menu. The only other thing they offer is if you're a vegetarian, you can, or you just don't want to be eating protein meat for whatever reason, you can get cauliflower in place of the chicken. And I almost ordered the cauliflower too because I'm sure it's delicious, but I just went with the chicken. Okay, so my take, I'd say it's wait, wait, wait list worthy. Uh, I loved it. I mean, the fried chicken is delicious. It's a uh, crispy skin, flavorful, savory. The sides were delicious, the broth, the whole thing, dessert. I, it was It was a really... Uh, wonderful, wonderful delivery. Uh, so the ambiance, the comfort of my own home, perfect for fried chicken lovers and finger licking meals. Uh, interesting tidbit. Okay. So I was on their website and I was reading about the chef and, and his bio is great. Um, it, it was, uh, it was talking about how he grew up in Queens and he spent most of his life bouncing around between schools and kitchens. And then he, he ended up going to Juilliard school for cello performance. And he talked about then he, how he got expelled, uh, because, uh, he, I don't know, for unacceptable performance. And then he went on to, to Northwestern and then he ended up in professional kitchens and was working for uh, Cafe Baloo, Gramercy Tavern, and most recently as the sous chef of 11 Madison Park. So um, I, I found his bio to be really interesting and, and he how he ended up in kitchens or, or these fine dining kitchens. So personal fun fact, um, I posted about this on Instagram and a lot of people started asking me about the wait list, how long it would be. And um, I don't know, for me, it was six weeks. I assume it's gotten longer now, but I encourage you to sign up because I think it's worth it. Uh, the cost was $44.50. That's not including a $5 delivery fee, tax, and gratuity. Would I order again? Yes. And I'd probably also get that cauliflower and probably even more chicken while you're at it. You know, just go for it. Uh, the website is peckinghouse.com. So, Hillary, would you, um, have you heard of this and have you tried it? <laughs> I have not. And now I am so hungry and craving it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I'm so excited. I'm going to add it to my list. Yeah, um, you should. It's, um, I mean, I'm thinking or I'm guessing that he might, uh, you know, what, what, what end up with having a, a restaurant that you, we can visit in the future and not just do uh, pick up, take out and delivery, but we'll see. Um, Cause I think he's uh, uh, this experiment of doing this, uh, has proved him well that it's popular and people like his, his food. So we'll see, but I'm glad I got it and, uh, encourage people to try it. Okay. So for the final question, uh, my next guest is 
Will Guadera. He is a New York City-based restaurateur, formerly of the Make It Nice Hospitality Group, which included 11 Madison Park, The Nomad, and Made Nice. He's the co-founder of the Welcome Conference and the Independent Restaurant Coalition, the host of Weekly Specials Podcast. And uh, if you're in the industry, I'm pretty sure you know who Will Guadera is. So, uh, Hillary, what would you like to ask Will? Yeah, so I have two questions for Will. One is that having a father who is also involved with food and beverage, I'm curious what the best work advice his father offered him and why it's still relevant. And my second question is, what is his favorite milk bar treat, given that he is married to milk bar queen Christina Tosi? Awesome. They're both great questions, and I can't wait to see how he, how he answers them both. I'm looking so, forward to it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and congratulations on your book. I, I, I love it. I have my copy here, and I think it's such a great tool for people. And I'm, I'm glad that you won your challenge and uh, it then inspired you to write a whole book to help others. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully see each other one of these days again in in the future. I used to run into you all the time. I know. <laughs> I know. Fingers crossed. Ins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and stay well. You too. My guest today has been Hilary Scheinbaum. She's the freelance journalist in food, beverage, lifestyle, celebrity, fashion, and more. Her new book is The Dry Challenge, How to Lose the Booze for Dry January, Sober October, and Any Other Alcohol-Free Month. You can find her. Her website is hillarysheinbaum.com. That's Hillary with one L, and it's a uh, spell it. Well, H-I-L-A-R-Y-S-H-E-I-N-B-A-U-M.com and Hillary writes New York, NY, just as her Instagram handle. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks always to my engineer, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Hillary. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.